In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show owen kingston and chris styles of parabolic theater in london are here to talk about the new season from parabolic make do and mend and the new home of the company the crypt in london's east end before we get into this week's interview however i want to just To a quick reminder, the Los Angeles Immersive Invitational is coming up next month from our friends at After Hours Theatre Company. And indeed, we're helping out uh, both ourselves and the folks at the Immersive Experience Institute, who are also ourselves. Uh, The Invitational is a 48-hour film festival-style event where multiple teams playfully compete for bragging rights as they craft immersive experiences out of thin air. Uh, this year's Invitational will feature up to eight teams in competition starting on the evening of Friday, May 13th. Wait, 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 we're doing what? And culminating in performances on Sunday, May 15th at the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles, who is our gracious host for this year's edition. We have some amazing judges uh, coming in to uh order up everything and uh there's some really cool teams that are already uh signed up to take part but you dear listener you and yours could also take part there is a sign up right now that is still open through monday there's a few slots left and uh we're looking forward to seeing all kinds of folks take part in this year's invitational Once again, the dates are Friday, May 13th through Sunday, May 15th, when things get shown off. And folks uh, won't know everything they're going to have. Think of it as kind of like a, almost like a cooking competition show. Uh, My preference is chopped. So think of it like chopped. You'll get your mystery basket and, uh, you know, uh, hijinks ensue. It's a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe the most fun you can have doing, doing immersive. Maybe. It's it's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, again, the sign up is uh, live now. You can find that in the show notes. Also, want to thank our latest backers, Megan Carroll, Austin Grossman, and KJ. We're currently standing at three hundred and seventy backers, and at uh, twenty three hundred and thirty dollars a month, meaning we are just thirty backers and $170 away from our next two big goals, being four hundred backers and the twenty five hundred dollar a month marker, which uh, is our halfway to sustainable marker. Uh, Really would love to get there. So we're going to do a big push next month about that. Uh, I am off uh, to the Without Walls Festival this weekend. So if you happen to be in San Diego, I'm going to be there on Friday and Saturday uh, checking out a bunch of the work. Uh, If you see me there, uh, wave hi. Uh, I've opened up a, a section of the Discord for those who might be around. Uh, so also just, just give a wave, let us know, and uh, maybe we can uh, pass each other in the uh, in the hallways, as it were. It's more of a courtyard than hallways, really. Anyway, 
I hope to see you there. There's a lot of interesting work on the slate and uh, we'll be back next week to talk all about it. Um, one stop back in the podcast feed is a fantastic episode of the review crew. Uh, Shelly joins us from London. Uh, well, us, I wasn't part of it. That's why it's so fantastic. <laughs> Shelly joins the crew from London talking about Dr. Who time fracture. Uh, Brianna Rokes, uh, who's one of our LA correspondents comes in to talk about the Bridgerton experience here in LA. And the whole thing turns into a big conversation about branded experiences. Laura Hess is in the mix and Kevin Gossett leads the discussion. Really, really good episode. If you don't make a habit of listening to review crew, I encourage you go back and listen to this one. It is totally worth it. Uh, also, uh, there's one interview this week, so you're probably fiending for more pod. It's waiting for you. The pod is waiting for you. And now we're going to get into that interview. Parabolic Theater, whose work includes the no-pro favorite The House of Chenchi and the acclaimed for King and Country, this season has opened Crypt, a brand new dedicated immersive theater venue in the heart of London's East End, with an opening season of work titled Make, Do, and Mend, a collection of wartime-inspired immersive pieces. But that's not all. They also use the Crypt to stage productions from other companies which were meant to run at this year's cancelled Vault Festival. Joining us today to talk about the crypt and the current season are Owen Kingston. Hello, Owen. Hello, I'm Owen. He's the artistic director of Parabolic and Chris Stiles. Hello, Chris. Hi. Uh, He's artistic associate of Parabolic Theater. And Chris is talking to us right after a production of England Expects, which will end its run this weekend. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show. Pleasure. All right. And thank you for talking to us uh, in in the middle of the night uh, there in London while it's sunny and bright here in LA. Uh, Before we get into specifics, was having the crypt become a venue that would be open to other companies other than Parabolic always part of the long-term plan for what you had set up? Or is this a shift due to the pandemic? Uh, Everyone's favorite nemesis. Yeah, it it was always a longer-term plan. Although we didn't know we were going to get the crypt until the pandemic had already started, but mm. I, I had wanted to to open a venue uh, that could both be a, ha- a home for our own work and a receiving house for other immersive shows. I'd, I'd long wanted to do that. Um, when we were offered the space um, in the middle of the pandemic, we were initially offered it just as a storage site for all of our our gear. Um, when the pandemic started, we had to put everything into storage. And we'd had a, an enormous uh, old gymnasium that, that we'd been given for free, uh, waiting for it to be knocked down and turned into luxury flats. Um, and uh, we thought we'd have that all the way through the pandemic. And then about halfway through, uh, sort of around about Christmas time, 2020, we were told we had a couple of weeks before to, to vacate it, basically, because it was going to get demolished. Yikes. And around about that time, I got COVID as well, and that that was an absolute nightmare. And uh, and someone who'd done a lot of work for the country for the company uh, in the past, uh, her mother was the vicar of a church in Bethnal Green, which had a crypt that had just become empty. And they they invited us to sort of go and have a look, and and said, well, they were happy to to house all of our gear uh, through the rest of the pandemic um, until we got out the other side of it. And then at some point in that process, we started having a conversation with them 
uh, about turning into a venue because I remember walking in there for the first time and thinking this place is just really cool. <laughs> um, yeah. That's got to be this one of the best things, Owen, about about immersive is that oh, yeah. a, something that's a storage facility for other people is like this. This isn't storage. <laughs> this is a performance space. That's what are you right. talking about? Hundred <laughs> um, percent. And it just seemed like too good an opportunity to pass up, really. And, and there was a lot of uh, legwork leg to do. There's a lot of hoops to jump through to to, to kind of get it. Uh, to be able to legally turn it into a performance uh, uh, space, um, but you know we had the sort of the tail end of the pandemic to do that, and and it, it's all sort of coincided at the right time that we've been able to uh, get our ducks in a row and, and be ready to open now, which is is really cool. And and how not to, not to spring this one on you, but about how long of a lease do you have on the space? Are you going to be there for the next couple of years, pretty much well, guaranteed? Yeah, I mean, we've agreed with the church because we, we, everything's very uncertain. Like, you know, audiences are coming back, but it's uh, it's we're not quite at the the place we were where we were before the pandemic in terms of numbers of audience, and and people are still quite cautious about COVID, and, and rightly so, really. Mm, um, yeah. So the agreement we have with the church is that, that we've got it for the year, um, so that we can try it out basically and see if see if it's uh see how viable it is and will audiences come to that bit of bethnal green and you know will, will we be able to find enough work to program to sustain it and uh and i think in that year we'll 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 know by the end of the year i think whether or not this is something that is worth going on for longer or whether it, it, it was you know something that was good for time but probably doesn't have legs long term so the option is there uh, and obviously, I, I, it would be really lovely if it takes off, and and the potential is there to be there for years to come, which would be great. Chris, what's it what's it like playing in the crypt? It's it's amazing fun. Um, not only just because it's uh, a beautiful space in its own right, we've got lovely bare brick walls uh, dating back from the Victorian era, and it's had different modifications during the twentieth century. So there's loads of history in the place. Um, but it's also particularly now that we've um, been using it for performances and having other companies come in, um, it's becoming to feel a lot more um, lived in and homely. Mm. Uh, it definitely feels like a, a space to be productive and creative, which is excellent. And for an underground space, it's relatively clean as well. We've performed, <laughs> we've performed in some horrible venues. Uh, you know, when you're looking particularly for underground spaces that have that air of, of mystery and creepiness about them, often married to that is is just a sort of nasty kind of dampness. Um, and yeah, it doesn't have that, which is good. <laughs> well, not, you know, not every crypt dweller, you know, maintains over the decades, you know, a proper yeah. space. So you seem to have found a really fastidious vampire, uh, rule, yeah. you know, who, who, who moved onto a better flat, you know, like good for them, <laughs> yeah. you know, COVID <laughs> opened up some opportunities for, for our undead. Um, <laughs> when you said it was like recently available, I was instantly went to like, oh, what was in <laughs> Well, you, you can't make it up, really. It was uh, it's a crypt. Uh, what could have been? There? <laughs> what was there? It was it was a, a pipe organ building company. Ah, so you know the sort of organs that you get in old churches. Uh, so and, so a Phantom of the Opera was down there. That's kind great. Of, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, and we, we've got loads of these weird bits of wood that were that, that, that do something for pipe organs. I, I have no idea what they do. Just a little graffiti the, that says Christine over and over. <laughs> 
it's yeah, but it, uh, they obviously this this company went bust over the lockdown. Clearly, something about the lockdown dries up the demand for pipe organs. I don't know, but um, <laughs> we 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 were the the fortunate beneficiaries that they they'd been renting the, the, this crypt off the church literally for decades, and yeah. suddenly they were gone. And uh, the, the the church didn't really know what to do with the space, so yeah, we we were we were just in the right place at the right time. Oh, if only I could use the phantom music for this, but I get dinged <laughs> on YouTube, I'm sure. Um, okay, so back back on script for a second here. Um, in in the announcement about the crypt, uh, y'all mentioned parabolic benefiting from the collab factory existing yes. in your early days. Yeah. So, is this something you see taking a, a similar role? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I don't think anything's ever going to replace the Collab Factory. It, it was a pretty special place uh, and, a, and a very special time. I mean, I think, I'm not 100% sure, it's very difficult to be 100% sure because I haven't got eyes all over the world, but um, I think it was the first dedicated performance venue for immersive theatre that was that would receive different productions, you know? That sounds um, about right, yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, it, was, it opened in 2015, uh, so maybe there's a venue out there that predates that. I don't know, but certainly in London it was the first, and uh, I was fortunate enough to manage it for a time. Uh, I, I first met Bertie back in 2016 when he was just tearing his hair out as a, a one-man band, trying to run collab theatre productions and keep the factory working as a venue. And um, and in that time, over those sort of three four years, we saw lots of different. Immersive companies uh, come and make work there. New companies founded and made work there. And uh, Chris's company, Mechanical Thought, was born in the Collab factory, uh, first in a, a scratch night and then uh, doing its first production um, uh, in the basement of the Collab factory. And it's just a very special place. There were a lot of different companies, a lot of different creatives, all working out that same building uh, rubbing shoulders with each other, getting to know each other, and I, I think when you have that kind of creative community, the sparks start to fly. You know, um, stuff it becomes more than the sum of its parts. And sadly, like the building closed at the start of the pandemic, and it, I'm not sure it's going to be able to reopen. Obviously, Bertie would be able to speak to that more clearly. And you should have him on your show at some point. He's a really interesting guy. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, done. Done. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah, talk he, afterwards yeah. and start. Yeah, I can hook you up with him. Yeah. He's worth talking to um, uh, because he, he's he, he's been behind several different venues in in London now, and uh, having Parabolic having a close association with him and Collab uh, hugely benefited us in terms of finding places to perform. Uh, and he just he's become a very good friend as well, and he's a he's a terrific fellow, Percy. Um, really worth worth a chat. Um, but yeah, uh, I think. If if the crypt can become even a, even a bit like that, I'd be really 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 proud of it. Um, and certainly being offered opportunities to and spaces to perform in uh, relatively cheap prices that didn't you know completely blow a hole in your budget, that enabled us Parabolic to grow as a company from from a little two bit operation at the beginning of twenty sixteen through to well we're still not that huge but we've done a lot of work. <laughs> Got a good CV. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. and it's 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 enabled it enabled us massively, and I think if we can do that for for companies that are just starting out now, or companies that have struggled through the pandemic, if we can provide them with a, with a, a bit of practical support, then I'm all up. All, I'm here for that. I think you know we've all got to help each other out. 
um, the, the I, I kind of think uh, every every production company that, that's making MS thirty every every new show that opens is growing the ecosystem in some way, mm-hmm. and the more we can help each other and support each other and encourage each other, the the, the more that ecosystem will grow, and, it, and we'll all benefit from that. You know, if there are people who come and see a parabolic show. Uh, generally speaking, they're not choosing to see a parabolic show instead of seeing another piece of immersive theatre. They're doing both um, because right. they're, they're excited about the, that kind of work. Um, and there's a lot of capacity there. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's what excites me about it. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned that audiences are sort of, you know, kind of trickling back and, and things are kind of still shaky in London right now. I wonder if you could give us, uh, you know, Iris open on that a little bit. Because yeah. um, sitting over here, you know, one things are very weird here in LA for certain. They they feel like maybe they're less weird in New York because New York's more of a theater town, and of course you've got Sleep No More is back, and so Punch Drunk's running. You do have Burnt City opening in London. I'm, I'm wondering, are but I also I just don't know what's happening on the ground there. Although I you know what the Doctor Who thing was running, and and it feels like stuff is starting to try to come back but are the is the audience there does it does it feel comparable to like another year in the in the short history of immersive at all these are the of my questions i think it's a it's a weird time i mean chris would be able to shed some light on this as well i think from from some of his experiences but um certainly from stuff i've seen um it's been a real mixed bag uh there have been some shows that just seem to have shows that you would have expected to do really well pre-pandemic have just kind of crashed and burned or at least Mm. that's what it looks a bit like i know um secret cinemas bridgerton closed or is closing really soon uh and it's had a really short run and there was a lot of expectation on that doing really well bridgerton was a hugely popular tv show but it just doesn't seem to have uh, caught the imagination of audiences in the way that I would expect a secret cinema show to do. Um, however, there have been other shows that have done exceptionally well. I mean, Burnt City's been, has so far, I think, sold very, very well. Uh, but then, like, it's the first sort of punch drunk mask show in London for for six years now, seven years, something like that. Uh, so I guess you can expect it to do pretty well, and certainly at the yeah. beginning. Um, we were very fortunate. We, we put... Uh, a remount of Crisis for Crisis on uh, last year, and uh, we were supported by the New Dorama Theatre, who are an absolutely fabulous um, uh, producing theatre in, in London. And uh, they really took a big risk with us. Um, we'd not done a show with them before, and they basically bankrolled the whole thing at a time when everyone was struggling for money. Um, but it paid off, and we pretty much sold... We sold damn near every ticket for that show in the end, and, and we extended the run by three weeks. So that really worked for us. But there, were, for every story like that, there's probably another three or four stories of, of shows that that just haven't done as well as expected and have had to close early. And you know, we we haven't been immune from that either. We we just did a a, a run of a brand new thing, and admittedly, we only wanted to do a week to test it, but we really struggled to sell tickets for that. And we haven't pushed it very hard because we were really only doing a test a week, but it didn't sell as well as I would have hoped it to to our core fan base. And mm. I think a lot of our core fan base are still very worried about COVID and, uh, and uh, are staying in the house. And I can't really say that's a, a, a silly thing to do. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, we're, we're seeing similar things here. You know, there's shows in LA that, you know, would have extended if more people had, had come through. But at the same time, 
you know, we can't, we can't fault people for not want, I mean, I, I have a, a higher threshold on, on, you know, p- protocol. Like I didn't go to some of these shows because yeah. I was like, well, I know I'm going to feel the social pressure to take off my masks because it's going to be awkward, but I know I can't take off my mask because I've got family to protect. And you know, the, 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 the math starts to get too much. You can just go like, I'll just, I'll just watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just becomes easier, doesn't it? And and I know of some people uh, I've spoken because we we have quite a good relationship with some of the the core parabolic fan base. We 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 get to know people who come to our shows regularly, and I've known some people who have have had to stay away because they've got long COVID, or yeah. you know they they've got as you say family members that they're trying to protect. And you just can't blame people for that. At the end of the day, you don't want to risk stuff to go and see a show. That's always going to be silly. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think. Particularly with with the bigger shows like um, like Bridgerton, um, where I think there's a lot of audiences are very worried about being in large crowded spaces, mm. um, but the smaller shows um, like uh, Viper Squad by Schematic mm. Theatre um, that was supposed to having a much much shorter run and has extended and extended again. Mm. Um, so I think the smaller companies that can provide a smaller uh, audience capacity seem to be doing quite well um and escape rooms as well still seem to be going uh quite strongly which has a similar sort of audience as immersive theater yeah. but again because it's very small groups going in mm. and also you know you're going to be with the people that you book with as well so yeah, I think the, the the pod effect is 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 really effective like knowing yeah. knowing that you're going to be like oh the, the seven people who i know i'm with them and no one else yeah, it's a lot less scary, isn't it? And and similarly, if you're looking at the capacity of a show and you see, you know, 400, 500 people, you think, crumbs, if any of those people have got COVID, we could all walk out with it. Whereas if the capacity of a show is 20, 30 people, it, it just feels less risky, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funky for that to be going on and then see, like, seas of people going to concerts and yeah. not just not just big festival outdoor events, but like indoor events as well. So it's just, it's, it really is strange how every sector of society is at a completely different place mentally. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got this still emerging art form mm-hmm. and where it fits in and who it appeals to, it, you know, it's, it's, it's still just hard to, to suss, but that, that's a, very good observation about the the small groups, Chris. Uh, for the people who are coming out, Chris, as as a performer, how how are people responding to the material? Um, it's always it's positive. Um, I think particularly after going through uh, more severe lockdown measures um, over the past few years, being able to get out and then do um, interactive theatre just feels like a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people. Um, and again, recently having done um, the Resistance Museum show, which we did and we targeted that as a, as a family friendly show. Um, and that was also great for seeing families come out, um, bringing slightly younger children who we don't usually get coming to our shows because it doesn't usually have the right sort of material. Um, and again, there was a lot of excitement of having a day out. Um, so I think for the people who are taking the risk and going out, they're not regretting it. Let's talk Make, Do, and Mend. Walk mm. us through this season you've got lined up at the Crypt. So, yeah, um, really, the, 
before uh, we sort of started picking up shows from Vault Festival, our intention had been to to do a season of shows which were predominantly proven successful shows, so things that we'd run in the past, and a lot of them we'd run at, at the Colab Factory in the past. Um, there were there were quite a number of different wartime themed shows by different companies that were all on at the Colab Factory in quick succession back in sort of 2018, 2019. Uh, and we wanted to do something that we knew we had faith in the material, and that that, that, that you know we weren't weren't going to be worrying about trying to both win audiences back and do brand new shows that we hadn't tested before. Um, we also wanted uh, theming wise. I think I was keen to try and respond to uh, the the feeling of the pandemic. You know, o- over here. Uh, there was something of that blitz spirit of of everybody. Uh, we you know we were all stuck in this thing together and uh, all trying to help each other out and get through it as best we could. And it felt like that had some resonance with for, for you know for British people with that that wartime experience. Um, and th- so those two things re- together really were, were were behind the idea of of um, of the season as a whole. Uh, but then, of course, uh, what we hadn't predicted and what we didn't know anything about was uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And for a little while there, I was sort of looking at the program shows we had and thinking, "Crumbs, is is this actually? Will this? Is there a risk of this coming across as tone deaf?" Mm. But thankfully, the shows that we had programmed were not. Were all about ancillary stuff around the war. They weren't directly about. Uh, about the the war itself, um, you know, the, we we have a show for King Country, which we have run many times in the past, which is about uh, the you know the, the attempted Nazi invasion of Britain, uh, but we hadn't put that in this season for for various reasons, and I think uh, I don't think we could run that show at the moment. I think it, it's just too close for comfort for for what's going really going on with people. It just doesn't feel like a fun way to spend an evening right now. Mm. But the the shows that we do have, um, and that we you know we we started the the season with um, with a new thing, the Resistance Museum that we wanted to test out that idea of going to a museum of alternate history, um, and then moving through into Illicit Signals Bletchley, which is is Chris's show about the the code breaking that went on at, at Bletchley Park during the war, uh, and then we have. Uh, Line of Fire, which is a, an immersive murder mystery, basically, um, which happens to be set during wartime, and then finally Hidden Figures, which uh, is a, a show about the the unsung heroes of the war, uh, who were uh, have largely been ignored by history because they weren't white and male, um, and uh, I think the the stories that we've got there, um, they they seem to resonate with. With, with where people are at the moment, I think without crossing over into that territory of, uh, of being tone deaf to some of the events going on in the world. I gotta imagine there's, you know, a, a fine line to walk a bit as an artistic director of, you know, interactive theater. Cause you know, you mentioned, you know, somebody that was like dead on about the war or, or mm. could be interpreted as dead on about the war. Isn't, you know, a fun night out for folks at the moment, which, Indeed, it, it wouldn't be, and yet at the same time, I, I think of you know uh, the traditional role of an artistic director is to like you know 
what's relevant right now. Right. Like, yeah. and, and, and so often like the mantle is like, well, how can I challenge my audience's expectations? So how do you, and for both of you, like how, how do you approach that? You know, the, the artistic, you know, drive to challenge and engage and get the audience, you know, thinking deeply about work. And also the fact that because it's interactive, it's, can hit so much harder because people are participating. Like they're, yes. they're not just but, observing. Yeah. I mean, what, what immersive theater seems to do best is, is encourage empathy in people. Mm. And, and I think in, e- in each of the shows we've got in this particular season, the focus is very much on what can ordinary people do. Um, I mean, if you look specifically at, 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 at the folk in Bletchley park, uh, you, you've got some pretty extraordinary minds, but they, they're, they're not in great positions of power necessarily. Um, but you know, we, we put the audience in the in the position of of, of doing some of the work that uh, the the, the co breakers at Bletchley Park did themselves, so that they they explore some of the techniques that we use to break Enigma. Um, and I, I think throughout the whole season, really, what we're trying to do is is give uh, our audience members the opportunity to have that experience of being the best version of themselves, of stepping up and saying. Uh, I can make a difference here, you know, uh, to, to, to have some idea of what that feels like. I, I don't know, Chris, does that sound right to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about the uh, the people who are the, the nerds, um, the people who might be the sort of social outcasts, uh, certainly not the sort of people you'd think as being a stereotypical war hero, but absolutely when you look at what they've done and the impact that had on the war uh, as a whole, they absolutely are heroes, um, but not all heroic actions in war involve uh, violence and bloodshed. Mm. And, and for the time we're in now, uh, you know, one of the big questions is: you, you see this war going on uh, out in Eastern Europe, and you think, well, what what can I do sitting at home? You know, where 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 am I in that? What, what difference can I make? And if we give people even a slight degree of hope that there is maybe something that they can do you know that by standing up and speaking out and making their voice heard uh however they do that whether it's through an election or whether it's through a protest or whether it's through uh you know sending money or or or, or sending letters or whatever that that we're all able to make a difference in some way um if, if the sort of immersive shows we make can can encourage people in that and i think that's that's time well spent all right Gentlemen, the current season runs through... We're running really from now through till the end of September. Um, that's the with, the... with the option to extend it. Um, so Hidden Figures is the, the last show up in the season. Um, and uh, it's... It, certainly when that was on at the Color Factory before, it was an incredibly popular show. Uh, there's a good chance that'll extend beyond its 30th of September uh, current closure date. Um, we also have the option to bring back some of the other shows in the season as well. So I think, uh, yeah, definitely till the end of September, possibly, possibly longer. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and for those who are coming into London for one reason or another, uh, I would encourage you to also, you know, check out what's going on at the crypt while you're in town. Uh, it's, it's always nice to have that option. Uh, to catch more than just one show if you're traveling abroad. And I know there's a few people who are traveling abroad uh, in the next couple of months. Mm. 
thank you both for uh, coming on the podcast this week. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping to hear an update on the crypt uh, towards the end of the season and, and see how, uh, how it's all shaken out. Definitely. Will do. Yeah. That'd be good. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. And that's the show this week. Going old school, one interview, one setup. Uh, we we will not always be doing uh, this super short format, but it is a truncated week uh, because of uh, running off to without walls. Uh, but there's uh, there's a lot of fun uh, coming up. Uh, there's some some really interesting things on the immediate horizon, and uh, we'll tell you about that as soon as we can. Um, yeah, uh, it is late on a Thursday as I'm recording this, so you don't have you have a, a, a super sugared up version of me because I maybe did a bunch of sugar in order to get through the day. But uh, you don't have the early morning rumble coffee, Noah. So uh, he'll be back next week. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot going on. So uh, I'm really looking forward to what's happening. Um, yeah, let's do the end of the show bits. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Ari Hurstan, Chris Bowman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson. Mark Balthazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. They help us out at patreon.com slash no proscenium, which I really should have said at the beginning when I was thanking our new backers, and now people have just tuned out. No. Uh, anyway, uh, help us out. Uh, we need it. You know we need it. Um, I want to give a big shout out, actually, to all the folks who answered the volunteer call we put out last week. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to put a little bit of a halt at the moment because I got a lot of responses and we're going to get people doing stuff. But we will be back to that well uh, soon enough as we build out more things, both at Everything Immersive and at the Institute website. There's just a lot of things to do. And yeah. You're probably listening to this uh, while I'm running around San Diego. So uh, it's hopefully uh, going to be a good weekend for all of us. Um, until, oh, ha ha. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu uh, is the executive editor of the No Persinium site. And this podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, mixed, blah, blah, yakety schmackety. By yours truly, I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. Bye.